chapter 14. Hallelujah. And as you're opening the word of God, I want to embellish on one of the announcements. How many of you know that Pastor Faulkner will be here next week? I heard five people. All right. Are you aware that Pastor Faulkner, Michael Faulkner, he's my good friend. I've known him for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years. He was a pastor of Central Baptist Church. When we had our fire on 116th Street, he offered us his church. He said, you can fellowship here as long as you want. You can fellowship here as long as you need. I worked together with him during the Promise Keeper days. We worked with him in the World Vision days. He was one of the regional directors of World Vision. He took me over to, uh, where is it? No, not California. It was uh, Seattle, Washington. Flew me in. Put me in a hotel. We went to Seattle, Washington and met the leadership of World Vision. Great place. And you know they really do what they said they do? When you give the the coffee a day, you know, a month, that money, 100% of it, goes to a particular department that is sent out to minister to children. They fund their administration in different ways. And so he worked with them for several years. He was also a New York Jet. I don't know if you're aware of that. He played for the New York Jets back in the 80s. But this year, he's running for office in the Harlem region. So he's going to come this time around, and he wants you to just get to know him. He might preach. He might not preach. He will share his stand. Now, this church cannot endorse him um, officially. But he's my friend. I want him to share his viewpoint. Nobody can stop me from bringing my friend to come here and just share his viewpoint. You decide. If you live in the Harlem area, if you have friends in Harlem, after you hear this man of God, this pastor, spirit-filled man of God, who wants to go to Washington and bring righteousness. Maybe you want to vote for him, maybe not. But at least I want you to have the opportunity to hear him. You know why? He doesn't have million dollars, millions of dollars rather, like other candidates. But like my other friend, Pastor Fernando Cabreras, who also didn't have money, you know what he did? He went knocking door to door in the West Bronx area. And he shared his heart, what he would do if he would come into office, that pastor, Pastor Cabreras, who's preached here also. And you know what happened? He won. He's now the assemblyman, uh, sorry, city council for the West Bronx region. So can we see Pastor Faulkner? Uh, this, this, uh, well, yeah, we can. If the people decide to vote for him. So I want you to be here. Not only be here, but if you have some friends who live in the Harlem area, if you have some friends that you want to, just to hear this man. Just make sure you bring everybody out. And pray for him. And ask God to move mightily on his behalf. Amen. So he might be able to continue to serve just as he has served all throughout the years that I've known him. Whether it be pastor which, by the way, continues to pastor on 126th Street. 126th Street, he still continues to pastor. Except now, if he gets elected, he'll pastor a greater congregation. Hallelujah. All right. John chapter 14. Are you at John chapter 14? Then how come I'm not at John chapter 14? John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. I'm going to say it again. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here we see Jesus sharing with his disciples a very interesting revelation. And that is 
that to him, the confirmation of love or of somebody loving him was that person keeping his commandments. Now let's jump down to verse 23 and 24. Jesus answered and he said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Wow. So in other words, the insinuation, actually it's not an insinuation, it's direct. To those that love God and keep his commandments, he and the Father come and move in with you and dwell with you. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Wow. So everything that Jesus said came straight from the Father's heart. So we have direct revelation. I don't need a prophetic word to find out if God loves me or not. All I need to do is look at my own life. (laughs) Am I honoring his word? Am I loving him? By loving his word, by obeying him. By when I have a chance to go this way or that way, I'd rather go God's way. Now, he's not saying, are you perfect? You'd never make a mistake. No, that's why he died on the cross for you. But do you love Jesus? Hallelujah. You may be seated. So, Jesus makes it very clear that the ones that truly love him are the ones that keep his word. So, listen to this. Your purpose and even ministry. Say to your neighbor, ministry. It's our service to God. It's the things we do for God. What do we do for God? Well, we worship God. What else do we do for God? We serve Him. How do you serve Him? How do you serve Him, people? By serving others, by preaching the gospel. By somebody, who's that? Somebody over there? Brenda, you said something? Who said something over there? Now you share? You, well, you shy now? What do you say? Serving his people. Obedience and sacrifice. Okay, okay, okay. You got the general gist. Got the general gist. Let's go a moment to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Verse 15 through 17. John chapter 21. Verse 15 through 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus was with the disciples He had already resurrected, and he is just sharing fellowship with them, and he's eating with them. Notice, interesting, Jesus loved to eat with the disciples. I said he used to love to eat with the disciples. I'm going to say it again. He loved to hang out with the disciples and eat with them. Did I say he loved to eat with them? Let me say it again. (laughs) Out of context. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. The little ones. The newbies, the newborns. Isn't that interesting? Now, in Scripture, there is um, a law 
there's a law of first mention, and then there's the law of repetition. And, and the prophets said, let everything be confirmed in the mouth of two to three witnesses. So this law, in the mouth of two to three witnesses, in Scripture we have two verses that share the importance of our practical love of God by loving His Word, by loving His commandments, or by loving His people. We share God's love, or we, we show God we love Him by obeying His Word, or by loving His people. And then Jesus, He further confirms, He says, Do you love me? So, yeah, then feed my lambs. Then again, He says, He repeats, He said to Him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Didn't Peter just say he loved him? So why did he have to repeat himself? He says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. That word tend goes far beyond, far beyond just a casual love. To tend means you've got to hang out with the sheep and take care of them and get them food and take care of them and nourish them and nurture them. And bring them to the places where there's green grass. And protect them from the wolves and the other animals that can take them and, and, and kill them and hurt them. So God told Peter, if you really love me, then you'll be involved in that process too. And then he said the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, I don't know about you. If my wife tells me the first time, honey, do you love me? And I say, yes, honey, I love you. And then right after that, she turns back and says, honey, do you love me? I was like, honey, you know I love you. I just said so. And then she tells me a third time. You understand? Now, Jesus never did things casually. He always had a purpose why he did stuff. You know, we look at this and we could see he's driving home a message. But by that time, Paul, I mean, Peter, Peter was grieved. I mean, I'd be grieved if my wife kept on repeating the same thing over and over. And especially something that deep. Do you love me? That word carries a lot of weight, a lot of power. And, Jesus, and Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know all things. By this time, Jesus is, I mean, Peter's exasperated. He's saying, is he seeing something in me? Why is he driving this deep? He knows I messed up. I mean, Peter was the one that had just denied him three times. So isn't it interesting that now Jesus is asking him three times? Almost like a type of redemption from that previous act. Maybe, maybe not. But by this time, Peter was grieved. He said, Listen, I know I messed up. I'm sorry. But you know all things. Look into my heart. But Jesus goes up beyond that. He says, well then, feed my sheep. Feed the little ones. Nurture them. And then even feed the adult ones. Take care of them. If you love me, this is what I'll see you doing. Say to your neighbor, if we love God, we need to be busy in this business. Then Jesus, Jesus went on to explain to him what death he would die. He prophesied to him that because of your love, because of your dedication to me, this is what will happen in your older years. But since you love me, you'll be able to endure this and deal with this. You'll be able to take care of my sheep. 
And we know history, how powerful an apostle this man was. But my question to you is, what is your joy? What is your priority? In Philippians 4.1, Paul said to his disciples, to his sheep, to those that he preached to, to those that he mentored, he said, you are my crown and you are my joy. Interesting. He didn't say his Lexus was his joy. He didn't say that the New York Yankees, may the Lord help them, is their joy. Any Yankees fans here? I'll pray for you at the end of the service. I know we need a negative. What do you mean negative? I'll pray for you right now. <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. Mets are from New York too. But the Mets, unfortunately, you know, they're in, they're in Malcapulco somewhere. What is your joy? What is your priority? Paul's priority was the people that God had given him to minister to. What is our joy? Oh, man, my joy every time the Transformers come down. Transformer movie. That's what makes me happy. UFC, man, that's what makes me happy. That's my joy. Snooky, Snooky's my joy. Right now. <laughs> Actually, let's do a field trip and let's all go pray for Snooky. <laughs> no. What is your joy? What, is, what, are, what are the things that really, really just turn you on, man? Just you love, you're passionate about. Paul's passion was people, God's people. And those coming into the kingdom. And those that he can bring into the kingdom. That was his passion. My, my question, is it our passion? I would dare to say it's not. I would dare we're so consumed with stuff, with work, with situations, with bills, politics, family, everything else, that the last thing in our mind is a soul. The last thing in our mind is loving on somebody else for the purpose of manifesting God's heart to them. I will submit to you that we're out of order right now. We're not in divine order. We're out of order. And God's people need to repent. What repent means is get back into order. You miss the boat, so you need to get back in order. It's missing the mark. That's what Sinning is, so by repenting means you get back to your original design. I'm going to read a quote to you because I want to set a stage for something because I'm probably coming away that you're not, you're not expecting. Someone once said this, I don't know the person who said it, but it's not original with me. Life without vision is drudgery. In other words, if you live but you have no hope, you have no inspired dream, drudgery. Vision without action is but an empty dream. And action guided by vision, that's the hope of the earth. When we have action, but it's guided by a godly, redemptive vision, now we're on target. Last week, you could look at your brochures in the second, what is it, second or third page third page, the one on the inside to the right, we had 58 people. Now, I am generally not into numbers. I love one-on-one. -on -one. I'm a one-on-one -on -one person. 
But I was very grieved last week. And I know that there was a retreat, so I think there were four or five ladies out. So in that case, we're still going backwards. A couple of months ago, there were 80 to 90 folk here. We even broached the 100 mark. We had a special. And I'm enjoying that because I'm seeing that we are reaching out to others. Acts chapter 2 said that the church grew every single day as God added to the church. It's God's desire that the church multiply. God loves multiplication. He's into multiplication. Everything in life multiplies. From Genesis, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and? It's in his nature. He wants the church to grow. Why? It's not about church growth. It's not about ego. And when we have the wrong perspective of church growth, we will think of it as something that we're bigger and better as a church because we've got more people. That's not what I'm into. Believe me, I've been broken enough in ministry to realize that's empty puff dreams. Because there's always a church that's larger than yours. Well, not if you're Joel Osteen. Excuse me, he only has 39,000 members. Castellanos in South America has over 150 to 200,000 members. David Yonggi Cho has a million members. Okay, so he's a junior when it comes to some of these great moves of God in the earth. All right? (laughs) So I'm not into this number thing. Having said that, I do see that we are so caught into ministering to us that we forgot what God is passionate of. There are three areas. We need to uh, feed the newborns. We need to also, what's the next one? Tend. That tending process is you take them from babyhood to adulthood, and then you also take care of the mature ones. And what was the last thing that Jesus said before he left earth? Make disciples of all the people in White Plains Road. Yeah, it's, it's in the califragilistic espialidocious Bible. But the King James says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now look around you. How many Asians we have here? How many Indians? How many Arabs do we have here? You understand? In other words, our job isn't over yet. But yet some of us are acting like our job is already over. I'm not getting any amens right now. I got a couple of ouches, and I think that's probably where this message is going. When we, we think about what's important to God, we start seeing a different set of rules than what the world teaches us. What is the world passionate about? Well, fame and fortune. I want to be the next idol. Hello? These are the things that are important to the world. What's important to the world? Well, when I go in the morning, Monday morning, to get my tea, when I go to Pedritos, I get my tea. What do I do? I see two lines. Two lines. One line is for the food. The other line is for the lotto. Oh, you, you, you're not with me now. You, you must live in, in, a, in, in a place where everybody's rich and nobody plays the lotto. Or the numeritos. You want a dollar? Another dollar and you get in the train. (laughs) Meanwhile, you'll spend $50 in the next couple of months trying to make more and more money. See, what I'm trying to say is that the lotto is one of the greatest deceptions that exists. 
Atlantic City, one of the greatest deceptions that exists. If you take your money, your dollar, and you save it every single day, you'll have $365 at the end of the year. Guaranteed, you'll hit the lottery for $365. And if you put $5, how much is the big one? The mega? No, the mega, the mega, how much is that for a ticket? No, you sure? There's one, isn't there one for $10? You sure? See, I don't play. I don't play anymore. I haven't played in a long time because I see the, the, the uselessness of it. They promise you, but in reality, they're taking from you. Because the only ones getting rich here is the government on that stuff. And the Trumps of this world. That's what people are passionate about. They think that if I get a lot of money, I'll be happy. No, you won't. Money doesn't make you happy. Money just pays the bills. We need money, but you can't worship money. We have to worship God. God has to be first in our lives. And then God will teach us how to use money to be able to advance the kingdom of God and, and pay our bills, take care of our families, and even take care of others. He'll give us the correct perspective of money. So let me give you a couple of things, a different perspective uh, from the book of Genesis. You know, Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made the heavens and the earth. You know, and then, he, then he made the land. He, he divided the heavens from the earth. He made day and night. Remember that? Six days and then the seventh day he rested. Well, a Pastor Bob Grimm shared an interesting perspective on it, and I'm going to share it with you here. He said, before man ever came on the scene, God set a scenario for him. He, he set the stage with various areas of hospitality to be able to attract man. And the first day, he turned on the lights. Turned on the lights. Made the heavens and the earth. And, you know, suddenly out of darkness, boom, you could see. He set the mood with light, lighting. Isn't that interesting? You know, lighting is very important. Depending on where you are, light can either be very attractive or very intimidating. I.e., you ever been to a doctor's visit? And they tell you to take off your clothes and just leave, uh, put that backwards thing? Anybody here? You ever wear that thing? Isn't that just the, the most divine thing you've ever experienced? And then that sharp, brilliant fluorescent light? It's an established fact that you cannot rest with those lights because it's going on. That's how, it, that's how that light is. It flickers on and on, but uh, very, very quick, but your eyes catch it. So your eyes cannot rest. You cannot get into a posture of, of rest. You're like sitting there, you're going, it's, it's intimidating. Have you ever been in a nice Italian bistro? How's the lighting? How's the mood? It's very, it's very attracting, isn't it? For you guys, where would you take your date? To that hospital room? Or to that Italian bistro? How many? How many? On one side. How many on the other? <laughs> Think about it. The lighting is very important. Now, to us, are we attracting or are we repelling? Have we received God's light? And are we giving God's light? Light is also indicative of wisdom, revelation, an understanding of things. Are we doing that? Are, are we attracting people into the kingdom? Are we repelling people away from the kingdom or are we simply ignoring people? Which one do you think makes God's heart rejoice? God did his best for us. 
what are we doing for God's people and for those that are on their way? Number two, God set the heavens above the earth below in order for man to enjoy. He created something, but he took time with it. He created a pleasant, orderly atmosphere in preparation of man's appearance on earth. He took time to create a place for you and for me. Because it's not for God. The trees are not for God. The trees for us. The gold, the silver, the ore, all the food, everything about it, that was not for him. That was for us. He took time to prepare an atmosphere that would be very desirable for man. Now, what are we doing? We need to take another look at how we're doing stuff. How is our ministry to people? Is it sloppy or are we really preparing the atmosphere? Are we doing our best to create an atmosphere that's conducive to attract the person into the kingdom of God? So a person will say, wow, that was pleasant. I enjoyed being there. Man, that was great. Are we as a church doing that or are we getting sloppy? Sometimes we need outside folk to come in. And then we need to talk to them and ask them questions. Says, How was your experience? Because many times the things they'll tell us is nothing like we think. Sometimes people have come to this church and they have left with a complaint. And we have no idea. You know why? We don't query them. We don't ask them. Because we, in our mind, we have a presupposition that everything's all right. So we need to assess. From the moment a person gets here in the morning, goes to Sunday school, ministry school, is part of the worship, hears the message, altar ministry at the end. Last week, I think it was last week, I told some of you guys. I said, okay, look at this. Or maybe two weeks ago. Look at that guy sitting right there. Where's everybody? They're clustered in their own groups. What's, what's the matter with him? There's another lady there, sit, just sitting. And all the ladies hanging out, having a great time. Do you think that was an atmosphere conducive for them to enjoy being there? Side note, they haven't been back since. They haven't been back since. I haven't seen them. Are we doing the same for the people that God loves? God loves the way God did for us. Okay, I lost everybody now. All right, everybody get up and do 100 jumping jacks. Number three. You ready for number three? God provided food. I mean, he loves fellowship. When Jesus was on earth, he's always fellowshipping. Did I say he fellowshiped and had a lot of food with guys, with the disciples? Did I say that before? Yes. Are we sharing our food with anybody other than those that are important to us? Are we sharing our food with those that are important to God? People, we've got to open up our homes again. We've got to get back to the basics. It's not about contemporary, you know, technological, uh, cutting edge, uh, evangelism, uh, you know, strategies. It's about the simple things. People love to feel loved. People love to sit down and have a good cafe bustelo. I'm telling you. That stuff is anointed. Some good arroz con habichuelas and steak or the little things. Stop. 
Oh, come on. You, you know, nobody could be hungry yet. You guys just had breakfast. There's always Vera's stuff downstairs. Think about it. You open up your home. I mean, that's what brought me into the kingdom. I didn't know God. I didn't know anything about God. I was Catholic, but I didn't know anything about God. You'd be surprised. You know, you ask a person, oh, you know, you have any church affiliation? Sure, I'm this and this and that. But if you look at their life, they have no real fellowship with that. And what brought me was my mother-in-law's coffee. She brought me the coffee and Bible studies. He just brought me right in, drew me right in. I wouldn't walk into her house. I just would slide with the aroma. And then once she got me with, with some Bustelo and hot milk, take off the natita from the top. You know what that is, right? That film, the thin film of milk, take it right from the top. Little hot bread, little butter. It was heaven. I was in heaven. <laughs> and then the word of God. That's what brought me in. Why has it become so difficult when that's so easy? We do that with our eyes closed. And she shared her testimony with me. She shared how important God was. That was, what, 40 years ago almost? I was 15 years old. I'm 52 now. You, you do the math. About what, 37, 38 years? Man, that was the best coffee investment I've ever had. He prepared for us. The Word of God. Are we preparing to give? Are we loving God's Word and then desiring to share it with others? Food. Natural and spiritual. You get them into your home. You get them into your surroundings. And love them into the kingdom. God loved us enough to provide a variety of of food. Excellent food. Wonderful food. Number four. He separated the light from the darkness. But yet he kept them close. You can see the light. You can see the darkness. Sometimes side by side. Isn't that interesting? We need to understand that even though we're now light. And we're called to be separate from the darkness. That we are also. That we also need to remain relatable. Problem is some people get into the kingdom and then, you know, the world can't relate to them anymore. You become so prune-ish. Really? I mean, somebody, you know, you try to talk to them. I mean, just miserable. Christ ought to give you joy. I don't know where we lose our joy in Christ. It's not because of Christ. You're letting the circumstances of this world overwhelm you. Christians ought to be the most excited, joyous people around. Are you excited for Jesus? But are you excited for Jesus on Monday? Are you excited for Jesus on Tuesday? I mean, it's hard to be excited when you have a hard day at work. But can you moderate that to the point where you can still manifest the love of God and the joy of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. Even though we're no longer living in darkness, even though we're not cursing anymore. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Right? We're not doing that anymore. We don't have to. We have a new language. The Holy Ghost taught us a new language. Right? Amen? Come on. You excited now? Isn't that wonderful that there's actually more words than those four-letter words we used the last 40 years? That's great. The synonyms. There's synonyms that we can use that are okay in any setting. 
Not even Christianese, just regular basic English. That's good. But yeah, we have our Christianese too. Was I talking to you, Julio? That sometimes you get so excited you, that out comes your Christianese in the middle of a work day? That happens, that happens to me. Sometimes I hear some good news in the jobs. Oh, man, glory to God. I mean, that's good stuff. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be worried about that. Yeah, that's, that's part of your life. Glory to God. They go, huh? Yeah, glory to God. Amen. Amen. We sold 100 widgets. All right. <laughs> Days 5 and 6, he created diverse food. In our attraction, we need to create diverse communication. So we need to be sensitive to those that we're ministering to. We need to study. Like right now I continue to study. I continue to learn more. I want to continue being a student because I want to know how to be effective in different forms. But even in those forms, I can be effective for Almighty God. Almighty God did this for us. We need to do that to those who are important to Almighty God. He created diversity. God loves the Asians. He loves the Brazilians. He loves the Africans. He loves the British, the Indian. He, brought, he loves the 28-plus Hispanic nations. He loves the Canadians. Even the Canadians he loves. Yeah, the Canadians. He loves the Canadians. He loves the Australians. He loves them all. He loves the world. Now, are we so caught up in our little bubble that we cannot be relatable to an Aussie? Can we be relatable to an Asian? I will submit that this church is insular at this point because we don't have any Asians or Indians or some people from the African nation or the continent, African continent. There are many nations, right? Insular means that we are only expressing an atmosphere that allows only a certain group of people. Maybe inner city, maybe Bronx only, maybe, you know what I'm saying, I'm not necessarily here, but we're insular, we're, we're only remaining in, we're concerned only with this community, we're myopic, we don't get to see beyond what we're seeing. I, I lost them all now, my God, I should preach this maybe at the Sistine Chapel somewhere, maybe that, that might get a better response. Nate, help me here, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. People, we've got to extend the pegs of our tents. Our vision needs to expand because God's vision has already expanded. And there are people that God loves that are right next to us, but we won't dare minister to them because we don't feel comfortable with them. So since we don't feel comfortable with them, we won't reach out to them. Yet, we have the word right in our hands, in our mouths. We, we have it. It's there. God's saying, I'm passing it on to you. Come on. And then we go. We go. And God goes, all right, I'll have to send another one of my sons or daughters. And then the last day, God rested. He rested. And we, of course, all need to rest. But in the same way, once we do our best, say to your neighbor, our best. Once we do our best, then we learn to rest in God. Then we trust in God to bring the increase. Because, by the way, He does bring the increase. But we need to do the work. All of us need to do the work. It's not just for a select few. 
We all need to do this work. We all need to show God our love by loving the lambs, by tending the sheep, by feeding the sheep, by preaching the gospel to every nation. Then we learn to rest and trust in him for the increase because increase comes from God. So I go back to that quote that I quoted earlier. Life without vision is drudgery. Do we have a vision for people coming in from all different nations, all different types of cultures? In this city, for crying out loud, we have most cultures right here. Where you live, your community probably is becoming increasingly diverse. But are we reaching out to them? Do we love them like God loves them? Do we love God enough to love them? Vision without action is but an empty dream. There's a certain portion of this church that is living that part right out. We have the vision, but we don't have the action. So in that case, it is an empty dream. And here's the problem. If all we are is vision without action, we will always be myopic. We will always be insular. We will always have a philosophical door that says no room available. And that grieves my heart. I've been pastoring this church now for I think 18 years. And I think it's taken me 18 years to grow up as a pastor. And in the past, we've done a lot of stuff. I know we have. We've done street rallies. We've, I mean, we've worked with mega organizations. And it's been a joy serving the church as a pastor. But I'm hearing too many stories, people. Honestly. Even the, the latest story I heard not so long ago, a good friend of mine, is leaving the ministry because he can't take it anymore. Because he's tired. He's tired of ministry. He just wants to sit in a congregation somewhere and for a while just heal. What do you mean heal? Are you sick, Pastor? It's not that he's sick. It's that, you know what happens? Hope deferred can sometimes sadden the heart. And one of the pastor's hopes and desires is that his congregation will grow and multiply and touch the nations. And at his time and her time, or at her time, they would be able to hand down the, hand the baton to another generation and hand them better tools than what they started with. Hand them more resources than what they had. Hand them a vision that has been taken from here to here. Now they'll take it from here to there. But the saddest thing in the world to come in and labor and labor and labor and by the time you finish, seeing it at the same exact place. Drudgery, sadness, hopelessness. So as I listened to this pastor, it broke my heart. And I said, oh my God, I don't want to be in his position. I'm not there. I'm excited about ministry. I'm happy. I, I, I love being here. I love serving you. So I'm, it's not my problem. But I never want to be there. And one of the sure ways to be there is by allowing ourselves to fall into a rut. And when I saw last week's amount of people that show up, the attendance, 58 or 59 people, even with the ladies that were in retreat, which is a good thing. I love retreats. 
And I think that there are great times of refreshing and just uh, just concerted, uh, concentrated ministry. I love them. And, and the youth were in ministry this week. They were, they were on a retreat this week. So that's not what I'm concerned about. But even with the ladies being out, there's only five ladies. How, five? Four? Six ladies? Something like five. five of them. So that would put it for 59 and five. What's that? 64? We're going backwards here. What happened to all the 90 people we had before? What happened with the 100? What happened with the 90? Where in the world are we losing 30 folk? Did, did you even think about that? Did you even think about this morning when you showed up? Where are the other 30? I'm just, I, I'm being honest. I'm asking. Did you think about the 30, the missing 30, when you came in this morning? You did? There should be more. Yeah, I agree with you. But where are they? Do we know if they're sick or not? Do we know if they're offended? Do we know if they're hurting? Do we know if they need prayer right now? I would venture to say no. Because it's not on our screen. So getting back to the verses, when Jesus told Peter, feed the little ones, where are the little ones? Why aren't we being accountable to Jesus for the little ones? Where are the ones we're supposed to be tending? Well, just as long as there's some, somebody around, I'm all right. Uh, I don't think that's what's his heart. <laughs> I don't think that's what he died on the cross for. I don't think that he went through all of that agony so we could feel comfortable on having an average of 40 or 50 people around us for the next 30 years. I think his, <laughs> me interpreting God's heart. <laughs> I think that every soul is important to him. I think we should not let one slip through the cracks. Now, yeah, if they don't want to be here, we can't do anything about it. But at least we need to know that that's their decision, that they don't want to be here anymore. Not to say, oh, where is he? Oh. The best thing we could do is take a personal responsibility for all of them. The best thing we could do is to start once again taking attendance. And really, really, I mean, which one of you parents here? When, when it's, if you have, let's say, three children, and you, they get bused to school in the afternoon, and you're not going to be there counting them. One, two, three, okay? Now let me see how they are. How you doing, mamita? How you doing, papito? How you doing, nene? Is everything all right? How you doing, nena? <laughs> nena. Yeah, and if anything's wrong, mama's going to have an attitude with, with Mr. School tomorrow. A good daddy's going to say, I'm visiting the teacher tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I remember my son Isaiah, when one time a child, and, and, and the teacher told him somewhere or something, I went to school the next day. And I went to the main office. And I said, I want to speak to the principal. I said, who are you? I said, I'm a parent of so-and-so. So, okay, well, I'll see if he has time. I said, you make time. I will see him today. Either you see him today, either I see him today, or I will go to Channel 7. But I will see the principal today. And the principal came out and he spoke to me and he apologized. And the teacher got reprimanded. I wasn't out to, you know, sue or anything. I just wanted to make sure that it was, well, the teacher did was stupid. Very stupid. Today, he would have been sued. The school would have been sued. And we would have been some nice money. But that was not my purpose. No, I'm serious. Because everything is litigation today. But back then, it was not my intent. My intent was, I want my son 
to be protected in school because when I hand them off to that adult, I want that adult taking care of my school because that boy is important to me. That's my boy. You mess with my boy, I will cream you. You understand? But that's the way it's supposed to be. But are we taking responsibility for the little ones that God places in our care? See, his sheep. Are we doing it? Or are we just, you know, like tiptoeing through the tulips of life? We're just happy-go-lucky Christians. We don't know much. We are Christian airheads. We don't know much. We're not concerned about anything. Just as long as we worship on Sunday, we did our job. Is that where we're at right now? So now we'll say a word to you that I know you'll appreciate because by now you need bandages. You're going here to the ER? The spiritual ER. Spiritual ER. You know where the spiritual ER is? Right here in the front in the altar. So if you're wounded and hurting, you can come here and we will pray and get you all healed. All right. So here's the word in conclusion. You all right with that? I'm not not getting a read, people. Come on. No. In conclusion, every strategy, everything we do, people, everything must have redemption written into it. If all we have is laws in the church, that's just legalism. But yet order is necessary. Because we need to organize all these things in order to be able to reach out to all the folk. If we don't take attendance, we don't know who's missing. All of these things are important, but it has to have redemption written in it. It has to have redemption at the DNA level. Small groups. Are you opening up your house and giving a cafe bustelo or something like that? It has to have redemption written in it. Are you learning the Bible? It has to have redemption written in it. Somebody's got to get touched. Somebody's got to get saved, redeemed. Somebody has got to get saved, connected with Almighty God. Otherwise, it becomes legalistic, unforgiving. And that's where many Christians are. They're offended. They're unforgiving. You know why? They're far away from God's original mandate for us. The more angry we are, the more offended we are, the more we're demanding from the church, the more farther we're getting away from that principle. Love my people. Do you love me? Put your name there. Jesus says, do you love me? Insert your name. And you say, God, I love you. Feed my lambs. Then you hear the word again. Do you love me? Insert your name. God, yes, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. And then he says this for the third time to us. Do you love me? Insert your name. Lord, you know I failed. You know I've messed up. You know I could have done it. I know that. I know I've messed up. But look into my heart. You know I love you. You know all things. Then if you love me, feed my sheep. Show me you love me. Don't just say it. It's easy to say it. When my wife says, do you love me? I don't just say yes. I'm there the next day and the next day and the next day. I'm there after the arguments and the fights. Although we never argue. 
we only have intense fellowship. See, I'm there. I don't just tell her. I show her. Jesus loves the world. Do we love Jesus? If so, today he reminds us that the proof is how we obey his word and how we serve those that are coming in and how we serve those that are just arriving and we nurture them till they're full grown. Those are the ones important to him. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you because your word is very clear. And it brings us back to reality. To kingdom reality. Because we recognize that according to different groups and different cultures, there are different types of realities. Different types of perceptions. But your scriptures don't show a perception. It it reveals your heart. It reveals the things that are important to you. It reveals truth. So today, my God, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding. And give us the strength to reassess where we're really at right now. Give us the strength to be able to truly make disciples, to truly love that which you love. Even as that song we sung, break our heart with the things that break yours. Listen to this quote by a gentleman, associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Tennessee, a gentleman by the name of Pastor Trevin Wax. He said, in most churches, membership requires little more than just a public declaration of faith and a quick trip through the baptistry. After meeting these requirements, members hear vague notions about being involved in stewardship, discipleship, and service. Perhaps we're cheating church members. We assume that most church members won't evangelize. So we're happy to stick with the very few who understand the mandate. We assume that most church members will not get involved in a demanding Bible study. So we water down our teaching to appeal to the masses. We assume that many church members will never tithe or give their time and service to the community for the glory of our King. So we budget accordingly. At best, we hope that people will act on our suggestions. Perhaps we should stop designing worship services, discipleship programs, and youth events for the average Christian. For example, the Christians that we don't expect anything out of. Instead, let's refocus on our church covenants that clearly communicate the expectations for being a disciple in the kingdom of God. Wow. Father, are we guilty of that? Are we guilty of catering to people who are really not interested in a committed life in Christ, in a life that is pleasing to Thee? Oh, God, have mercy today. Have mercy on us. Have mercy, O oh God. Bring us to the place, my Lord, where we once loved you. Father, I pray that you restore the passion. The passion that comes from your heart, O oh God. Bring us back to the priority of the kingdom mandate 
to disciple the nations, my Lord. Father, that we might, instead of always be thinking about what's important to us, clothing and movies and uh, vacations, the biggest house, the best car, Lord, that our passion might be for those that you love. Even as Paul said, my glory, my crown, my joy. All those precious souls. <sighs> Have mercy on us, Lord. So today, I, I want to I change this around a bit. And normally, I'll, I'll wait till the end of the service. And I'll open up the altar so that people can receive prayer. But today, I don't think I want to pray for you. Because I need prayer too. Because this messes me up. I'm all messed up right now. Because I know I could do better. I know I could do more. So in my heart, I'm saying, God, help me. That I might be, a, a, you know, a, a, how can I say, a reflection of your love. And I need to reassess what are the things that I'm involved in that maybe I'm putting even, giving more importance than the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to open up the altar right now. It's one o'clock now. I'm going to open it up for a couple of minutes. So if you want to meet me at the altar, because I'll be the first one there, you can feel free to meet me. For the ushers, please just make sure that there's divine order. I don't want anybody talking or hanging out right now. This is a holy moment before God. And I believe that there will be some divine transference. Some divine transforms, friends of passion, of love at this place, the altar. So let's come to the altar. If this is important to you, if not, don't worry about it.